Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. March 20th, 1928. Frederick McFeely Rogers was born in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, about 40 miles outside of Pittsburgh. His father, James, was the president of the McFeely Brick Company and was described as a very successful businessman. His mother, Nancy, knitted sweaters for soldiers that were at war at the time. And she initially had dreams of being a doctor, but ended up volunteering time at the local hospital. So it was, this was the 1930s, 20s. So being a woman and, and trying to become a doctor was kind of unheard of back then. Mm-hmm. Um, Rogers grew up in a three-story brick mansion in Latrobe as his father owned uh, one of the largest businesses in the city, the Brick Company. And when he was 11 years old, his mother and father adopted a girl named Elaine. Up until that point, Rogers spent most of his life alone playing with puppets that he made, learning, he learned ventriloquism and learned to play the piano at age five. He also spent a lot of time with his grandfather in his early years. He had a very rough and troubled childhood socially. He spent most of his time alone with his hobbies and was often teased and made fun of for them. And on top of that, he was overweight and kids would call him, quote, Fat Freddy. He frequently spent long bouts at home inside due to severe asthma issues that left him unable to be active with the rest of the kids. So kind of uh, so far up until like 11 years old, the kid was pretty much alone, like inside mm-hmm. health, health issues. And Secluded. Kind of re- yeah, he was very like... He kind of just isolated himself in some ways and like lost himself in his, his imagination. Mm-hmm. When recounting his childhood, themes of isolation often were brought up and on clear display. He was admittedly lonely and felt unable to express himself and his emotions. A bright star in Fred's life was his grandfather, who he spent a lot of time with. And as he grew up, his grandfather gave, gave him confidence, saying, Freddie, you make my day very special. And... I like the way I like you just the way you are, Freddie. It was also his grandfather that taught him how to play the piano when he was five years old. Growing up now with these small boosts of confidence from his grandfather, Fred finally began to break out of his shell in high school. He made a couple friends, including the captain of the football team at the time. This, of course, surprised Fred due to his childhood reality of being severely asthmatic. Um, so you know, couldn't be athletic with other kids. He was shy, mm-hmm. overweight, and bullied. But others at that time learned that he was a good person. And he went on to become the president of the student council, uh, a member of the National Honor Society, and editor-in-chief of the school's yearbook, which 
all those things were back in the day. Even today, they're still a big deal. But yeah. I mean, the yearbook editor in chief, that's like Instagram back then. You know, it's, it's a, the yearbook was everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was the thing to do. Uh, shortly after graduating high school, Fred applied for the draft. The year was 1948 and he was 20 years old and he was listed as 1A, which meant he was fit and ready for duty. For two years, he prepared to be shipped off to the military until October of 1950 when he failed physical. Remember, he was had severe asthma growing up mm-hmm. um, and, and was deemed ineligible for service. So this upset Fred. Um, he decided that he would attend college and enrolled at Dartmouth, which is a very prestigious college. Uh, he continued to excel socially and academically, eventually transferring to Rollins College and graduating I don't know if I'm going to say magma cum laude. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. With wow. a bachelor's in music. Uh, so he kind of took his childhood, you know, played the piano and brought it to college with him. Um, it was at this time he met his future wife, Sarah Joanne Bird. During his senior year, a pivotal moment in Fred's life occurred. Not only did he meet his wife around this time, but he visited his parents in senior year of college and saw a television set for the first time in his life. Mm. And the year was nine. Ah, shoot, I don't have the. It was in the nineteen fifty three. I think this was. And at that moment, he knew he had a desire to be a part of the television craze that was sweeping across oh. America. So I mean, put yourself back in the time. It's the nineteen fifties. These television sets are really starting to become popular. Prior mm-hmm. to this, it was just radio. And his parents got a TV. Fred sees it for the first time. He's like, "This is amazing!" And it was, you know, this is like TV at this time was like you know, the phones of today or, you know, just the high, like high internet, um, you know, like the 5G, just like it's, you know, sweeping across America. Everybody yeah. wants one. So he, he wants to be a part of this. He wants to hop on the bandwagon. Originally, he wanted to enter the seminary after college, but Fred changed his mind right after and sought out a uh, job working in media. So he's graduated college and he's like, I'm going to go work for, you know, television company. Wow. And in truth, interesting as an introvert (laughs) i know right yeah it's like he spent his whole childhood playing with puppets and losing himself in his imagination and now he's like i'm gonna go be on tv or you know i want to work in tv yeah um i don't think he initially he like wanted to be on tv he didn't want to be like a actor or something like that but he wanted to like work in tv and be you know influential as it, as he saw it as like a form of media and a way to do good things, I guess. So actually, yeah, in truth, he hated the idea of TV, but he saw the potential in it to do good for people. So he landed a lead job at NBC as a floor director, which is crazy. <laughs> like he just graduated with a music degree. He was like, yeah, I'll just go get a wow. lead job at NBC. Yeah. He's his floor director. Now I, he, he worked on shows such as, uh, your hit parade and the voice of Firestone, which were both musicals. So I guess that kind of fit the bill with his degree, um, and his background. But after a while of working with NBC, he quit citing the reliance of commercial television on advertisements limited their ability to educate and enrich young people. So basically he, I mean, it was all commercialism and consumerism, um, there was a lot of advertisements like cigarettes and things like that going mm-hmm. on that in commercial television is necessary to get funding and all that stuff to make a bunch of money. And he was like, nah, I really want to like help people. Um, so I'm out. In 1954, he took a job with the community TV station WQED, where he put his childhood skills to work as a puppeteer 
and made musical scores for the show, uh, The Children's Corner. The show went on for many years and won a Sylvania Award for Best Locally Produced TV Show in the Country in 1955 and uh, ended up being broadcast on NBC, which is uh, kind of, and I thought I took it as like, that's kind of a pretty kick-ass thing to do. Like yeah. you left NBC and then you made kind of made your own thing. And then NBC was like, yeah, that's genius. Let's air it. Um, so he's doing well. And during this time at WQED, Fred earned his degree in theology and became ordained. So he ended up going back and, and kind of pursuing that. He continued to work. Ryder, shut up. Hey, we're, at, we're almost at the good part. Relax. Okay. Thank you. He continued uh, his work in television following his ordination. Um, so that was kind of like a side thing he did. He also later attended Pittsburgh School of Child Development, which is a postgraduate study where he began working with a child psychologist, Margaret McFarland, who influenced Fred to continue his work in television. So he's really interested in kind of helping young people at this point. Uh, I think that, that goes back to his childhood of being really secluded mm -hmm. and struggling, you know, so he's pursuing this. and He's kind of, you know, taking the bad things that happened in his life and trying to help people, which is, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So he's getting a lot of support from this, uh, child psychologist, his professor, um, you know, he wants to keep working in television. And in 1963, Canada called and they offered, <laughs> Fred, <laughs> they offered Fred, they're like, hello. They offered Fred a show of his own. Up in this point, he was just working as a puppeteer. He's never been on camera and you know, he's working behind the scenes, writing things, doing music. So this would be his own show. And this show offered uh, on the TV station uh, CBC was the first time he was actually on camera. And though it was popular, the show was canceled after three seasons, uh, you know, budgeting issues. They wanted to go in different directions, things like that. And he soon developed a show called Mr. Dress Up. And this was still in Canada with his friend and fellow puppeteer, Ernie Combs. Um, so Mr. Dress Up, Basically kind of like the show he did initially with CBC. Um, just it actually ended up taking off. He didn't stay with the show, but the show ended up going up until the 1990s. So it ran for like 30 years. But wow. um, Fred left the show and it gained. It got really popular right away. Uh, but yeah, Fred, he, they were like, we can't stay in Canada. It's too cold and we're not from here. So they left the country and the show and headed back south. But with that decision, he kind of severed ties with any opportunity he had in television. Uh, so he took his wife back to Pittsburgh and he had no job prospects. He had nothing lined up and he was seemingly out of options in television. He didn't really know what to do. He just knew like his family wasn't happy in Canada. Things weren't working out for them. Even though the show Mr. Dress Up was doing well, it just, it wasn't the right fit. In that moment, being back in Pittsburgh, a light bulb went off in Fred's head. So he went back and he acquired the rights to the original show that he went to Canada for that ran for three seasons and was canceled. So he now he has full rights, owns 100% of that show. Oh, sweet. Um, he can do anything he wants with it. It was that move that set, uh, that set in place the basis for his long-standing career in television. The TV rights he acquired allowed him to return to WQED which he originally worked for after NBC in Pittsburgh in 1968 and began a black and white show consisting of 30 minute episodes titled Mr. Rogers neighborhood. 
Mm, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers. The show was taped at WQED and was aired nationally on National Education Television, which later became Public Broadcasting Service, mm-hmm. or PBS. Did you watch Mr. Rogers growing up at all? I, I do have memories of watching Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, you know, I do too. And it wasn't like a big part of my childhood, Same. but it was like for those couple of years I did watch it because it's a certain age group, right? Mm-hmm. For those couple of years that I did kind of on and off watch it, it was awesome. It was the most comforting thing. I think I remember one of the most as a child, just like mm-hmm. I have distinct memories of being at daycare, which was right down the road from me. And like my, uh, you know, the lady in charge of this daycare, there was like five other kids or whatever. It was at her house and she would give us nap time (laughs) and she would like, (laughs) I would be laying on the couch and she'd like tuck a blanket on me and like Mr. Rogers would be on the TV and we'd take a nap and Mr. Rogers would just play. And it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty special as a child. Like I still remember it. I was very little too. I, do you remember the theme? Do you remember the theme song? It's a beautiful day yeah. in the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that theme song. Yeah. That's like it's so nostalgic, you know, it just brings you back. Any yeah. part, any part of it that you remember about that show is like it just takes you back. Yes. I remember him in the opening scene. He would he would walk in his door and he'd mm-hmm. take off his coat and he'd put his sweater on. Yeah, it's and iconic. I think, he, I think he changed his shoes, like he put his house. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, we're, we're going to get to that. So, uh, we have a couple more things to talk about. So yeah, the show, uh, uh, taped and aired on PBS and its first season had 180 black and white episodes. That's insane. 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, each season thereafter consisted of 65 episodes. Uh, They were aired in color, uh, at Mr. Rogers neighborhood's peak about, and this was in about the 1980s, about 8% of the U.S. households would air his TV show live. So when it was playing for the first time in the day. And the, oh. in, in television, 8% is massive, I guess. So it, to me, like 8%, like, oh, that's a lot of houses in the U.S. But for that's still a, a lot of households, 8%. And I guess for TV, that's kind of unheard of. Um, besides like big events, you know, the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Fred Rogers became famous on his show for his quiet, calm demeanor and fun, educational, supportive and uplifting attitude. And kind of just what you were talking about, the premise of the show remained unchanged throughout all of this, its years. Mr. Rogers would walk in his home. He'd greet you warmly. You know, the music <laughs> would play. He would take off his jacket and shoes. He put on his house slippers or house shoes to uh, complete with a shoe toss from one hand to the other. And begin discussing the episode's topic. And you remember at the at the beginning of this when I said Fred's mother, uh, she knitted sweaters. Mm-hmm. She knitted all of Fred's sweaters that he wore on the show. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, isn't that cool? It's this story yeah. is super cool. His life is great for so many reasons, but a lot of his childhood things that happen are like directly mirrored in his adulthood. You know, I, I just thought it was super cool. So. Themes in Fred's childhood life, we're going to get into that, would often frequently pop up in his show. For example, uh, Mr. McFeely, the upbeat and friendly delivery man, was named and based off of Fred's grandfather. Oh, remember, cool. it, it was uh, Frederick McFeely Rogers is his full name. So Mr. McFeely, that's based off his grandpa. 
the puppets that were used in the show were based off of puppets from his childhood that he made and their different personalities were rooted in some of Fred's fears, insecurities, achievements, and allowed him room to express himself and therefore later teach younger children how to handle different emotions that pop up. The show's entire premise focused on children's social and emotional needs, as these were themes in Fred's childhood that were severely lacking. Rogers taught young children about civility, tolerance, sharing, and self-worth in kind of like a leisurely manner. And he tackled different topics such as the death of a family pet, sibling rivalry, the addition of a newborn into a family, you know, if you move and go to a new school, and even divorce, which is the 1960s. Uh, divorce wasn't super socially acceptable. So for him to talk about it was, uh, it's kind of blurring some lines at that time. Mm-hmm. And he even wrote a special segment that dealt with the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Oh, wow. That was aired on 1968. And he's talking to kids about this. Yeah. So he, he really wasn't afraid to kind of get after some real things that are going on in the world that kids generally don't understand and don't get a lot of, I guess they don't get a lot of, feedback or information or it's not communicated to them well from their parents at times. Mm-hmm. So he kind of becomes that father figure in a way. And he didn't shy away from challenging social norms either. In 1969, early in the show's existence, been going for about a year at this point, he aired an episode in which he shares a foot bath with uh, Francois Clemens. He was a black mailman on the show. And this broke well-known established color barriers because i mean civil rights movement is huge at this time segregation's going on so he shared you know i remember that episode and looking back at it um like rewatching it you know you just remember i guess he's a mailman i think or delivery guy and he comes up and he's like oh it's so hot out he's got all his uh, like heavy mail gear and mr Mm -hmm. rogers like well come on in my backyard and like they shared a foot bath it was just this innocent little thing that you know kind of you know it was a black guy and a white guy sharing it. So it was. Yeah. Very progressive yeah. for the time. Very progressive. Yeah, exactly. The process of putting each episode of Mr. Rogers neighborhood together was quote painstaking and Rogers's contribution to the program was astounding. Rogers wrote and edited all of the episodes. He played the piano and sang most of the songs. He wrote over 200 songs and 13 operas created <laughs> wow. all of the characters both puppet and the humans. He played most of the major puppet roles, hosted every single episode and produced and approved nearly every detail of the program. So this is really his baby. He did this for eight years until about 1975. And then he abruptly quit making the show and focused on adult programming, which I didn't realize he actually quit this. Um, He continued to work with his childhood psychologist, Um, at this time. And this move caught a lot of people off guard. But about five years after he did a few adult programming things um, to try to help adults, he returned to do Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. And uh, really, this is when the show boomed. It became as McFarland, his childhood psychologist professor, I guess, put came even better and more sophisticated than before. Hmm. So he continued to produce Mr. Rogers Neighborhood until 2001 when Rogers was 73 years old. It aired nearly 900 episodes total and was one of the most beloved and popular shows for nearly three decades. Fred's influence was felt beyond the TV screen, however. In 1969, this was about a year after he made started Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he testified before the U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Communications. 
And PBS is directly funded by the government. So without the government help, it's a public broadcasting. So it would, the shows, the quality, everything would just kind of shut down. Um, so he had to go in front of this subcommittee because the Lyndon B. Johnson proposed $20 million bill to create uh, PBS before he left office. But Richard Nixon, who came after Johnson, wanted to cut funding in half. And that would obviously affect the show and mm -hmm. affect what Rogers wanted to do with the show and through television. Even though Rogers was not yet really well known, he was chosen to testify because of his ability to make persuasive arguments and connect emotionally with his audience. The clip of Rogers' testimony, which was televised and has since been viewed by millions of people on the internet, helped secure funding for PBS for decades afterwards. According to, um, well, anyways, Rogers' testimony was, quote, considered one of the most powerful pieces of testimony ever offered before Congress and one of the most powerful pieces of video presentation ever filmed. And wow. if, if you haven't seen him talk to the subcommittee, it's on YouTube. It's, it's pretty good stuff. He just has a way of being very calm and you just want to listen to him. And it's like they said, he, he can really connect emotionally with who yeah. he's talking to. I, so I want to watch that. It's really, really good. It's not too long. It's not like a boring, you know, governmental thing. It's mm -hmm. Mr. Rogers talking to basically why every, like this is so important for people. I could, I could see him being pretty captivating. Yeah. It, it really is really, really, really good. Um, it has been that, that this, that video clip has really did, done a lot more than what I think he ever imagined because it's even been studied by PR experts oh. and academics wow. <laughs> because it was so good at like emotionally touching and Anyways, congressional funding for PBS increased from $9 million to $22 million after he gave that speech. Um, and in 1970, two years after, I believe two years after he gave that speech, uh, Richard Nixon appointed Rogers as chair of the White House Conference on Children and Youth. Um, that's a pretty big deal. That's pretty yeah. awesome. I don't know what exactly what he was in charge of there, but he had a lot of input into potentially how kids were educated in school and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So anyways, getting kind of to the end here, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was Fred Rogers' life's work. It won four Emmys. Rogers won the Lifetime Achievement Award in 1997. He was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 1999. He received nearly 40 honorary degrees in his lifetime from different colleges, including Harvard, Yale, things like that, and was probably the biggest one was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2002 by then-President George W. Bush, which is the highest civilian honor for an American. This was awarded for his work and contribution towards child welfare. After the final episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood were aired in 2001, Fred Rogers was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Fred insisted on putting off treatment until the show was completely wrapped up and his final speeches and traveling for the show were finished. In 2002, he underwent an operation to try and save his life, but no more than two months later, Fred Rogers passed away at age 73 in his home with his wife by his side. Most newspapers nationwide had Mr. Rogers' story and obituary on their front page. Millions of people, including viewers, writers, producers, fans, poured their appreciation, admiration, and memories of Fred Rogerson. The night he passed, WQED, which was the original 
uh, broadcasting company he worked for, aired Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and the viewership was three times higher than their normal ratings. ABC aired a rerun of a recent interview with Rogers where it got the highest ratings of the day, which I thought that was significant because usually it's like the late night talk shows like uh, Jimmy Kimmel, things like that, I guess, that bring in millions and hundreds of or tens of millions of people. And um, an ABC just running a rerun of an interview with Rogers got the highest ratings of the day. So I thought it was pretty significant. Uh, People just loved him. As of 2016, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is the third longest running show in PBS history. Recently, a documentary and a movie have been produced about Fred Rogers' life and legacy. The, The documentary is titled, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, and the movie, more recently, with Tom Hanks, who's actually his fifth cousin. Uh, no enough. way. Wow. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Is called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And um, both of those can be found on Amazon Prime, I think. Um, and it can be, I think you have to rent them. But I haven't checked any of those out yet. But I think after kind of digging into his life and his upbringing, I want to go watch, um, Yeah, especially the documentary. So... I, I I mean, Mr. Rogers, obviously, I think everybody has heard of him. At least they know the name, uh, whether you've bought how much you've watched him or not. I think he was his impact on the world is 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 pretty astounding and awesome. And he's a great example of taking something from his past, his childhood that he really struggled with and made something really, really good out of it. It's astonishing. I had no idea. Yeah. It, I mean, and it all makes sense too. Like he was, there was all these rumors. Um, I don't know if you ever heard those rumors about Fred no. Rogers being like in the army and he was a badass army guy and like he had all these tattoos and that's why he wore sweaters. Um, <laughs> but he was like such a gentle spirit and yeah. so genuine and you know, his life could have gone so differently if he did go in the army, which he really wanted to. And you know, I don't, it, it he's just, a great influence that I think the world really, really misses. And I was kind of inspired to learn more about him. So did you know who it was when I started talking up until I said, um, so as you were talking, I, I have a notepad and it helps me listen if I just make little notes. And so I wrote, I wrote Fred Rogers as soon as you started talking at the top of my page. Uh huh. And then I wrote down kind of key things like, okay, piano, NBC, TV. I started writing down some dates and I was like, <laughs> at, it, I would say it did occur to me like, oh, is this Mr. Rogers? <laughs> um, but I wasn't, there were certain parts when you were talking where I wasn't yeah. sure what direction it was going to go in. Cause then you're like, Oh, he left NBC. And so I thought, Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he didn't do that. But yeah, I, what a, what a cool story. That was super fun to learn about. I hope, I hope it was yeah super cool for you too. Um, I want to source this. So I got all my information from the famous and kind of took their info about his life and put it in a story for you. So I hope you enjoyed it and we're going to be back next week.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.